Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is C.K. Lin. Noble Warriors where I interview multi-dimensional entrepreneurs about their spiritual disciplines so you can engineer your life with more depth, impact, and meaning. If you have any friends who could use more inspiration and permission to take that leap of faith, go ahead and share this episode with them. They'll thank you for it. My next guest is Keith Montgomery. Keith is a serial entrepreneur in the area of digital asset, digital transformation, and next generation technologies. We talked about how he uses the mathematical mind and linguistic strategies to make sense of the world, how he learned six languages and became a highly sought after specialist for next generation technologies, why the dream world and the digital world are getting more and more similar. And why he's excited to use cryptocurrencies as a way to give more financial sovereignty for the bottom of the pyramid. How he discerns the cult of personalities as well as the possibilities in digital media and cryptocurrencies. The six illities of the NFT technologies. The analytical and the fundamental angles that he used to find opportunities in the blockchain space. The then we get into men's work, the difference between spirit work and soul work. The exponential benefits of having his own systems in areas that are important to him. The specific techniques of what is at risk to make fast and accurate decisions. Please enjoy my conversation with serial entrepreneur Keith Montgomery. How many languages do you speak? I'd say three. And then maybe six. Okay. Yes. Do you mind list them off so that way people get a taste of the variety? Sure. English, uh -huh. Chinese, German, Mandarin. Mandarin. Yeah. Mandarin. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And then Spanish, Italian, and French. So let's start off with the fascination with language and then use that as a way to break it down into like how you look at the world. Yeah. How, how, when you, where is the passion coming from and how do you approach Yeah. learning a new language? I think it always was with me. If I'd hear sounds, I'd want to mimic them or something. It's just like a, a world that was out there. Well, the biggest thing now that you asked that question in high school, language wasn't uh wasn't my strength it wasn't the thing that i i wanted to do and uh, and it didn't make sense where i'm from in ohio so the uh, the real awakening was when i actually traveled for the first time and i was going to the university in germany and i realized people use german in germany and it was just it's it sounds so silly but it's one of those things that it i see this over and over again in life and I talk about the digital transformations and all these things is when we get around people like us, which is usually who we work with, we drink our Kool-Aid and we don't realize there's a whole world outside of us and it's the whole world. So the fascination was, oh my gosh, this is useful and I need to use this to survive. And then the Germans have this um, saying called the Buchstabenkrankenheit. It means like the sickness of the alphabetical letters. And it means right when you start to read, when you start to actually become ravenously curious, there's no stopping it. And so when you're learning that language, where you learn German, next thing is, no, as I was like taking books with me on the trains and I was 
just absorbing. And once that happened, once that light was turned on, it allowed me to travel. It allowed me to do things so much. It's so much easier than colleagues. And one, one example is where my colleagues, we, we had traveled to Eastern Europe. It was like a kind of a weekend trip. And I realized that they had been more in the American schools where they had spoken English with each other because they could. I would too, if we're, we're speaking English right now, it's easier. But I wasn't enabled that way because of the way I was dropped off in Germany. It was just a happenstance problem. It forced me to sink or swim. And, and I, I swam. And so that light came on and, and I realized the more a person can understand what the heck people are saying around them, you can actually just be along with people, be there with the, with people, connect with them and learn uh, different ways of thinking. And the more ways you learn of thinking, the, the more like quivers you have in your arrows you have in your quiver, right? So that you're able to just like, okay, this problem could be solved this way, or it could be solved this way, or it could be this way. So I think the, the fascination and the passion became apparent where it was one of those aha moments that, Hey, I can do this. And, uh, and I started getting these philosophies around it too, as I realized it was probably mostly about pride and fear. And, uh, and I have this saying that I tell people when they say, I can't learn languages. And I say, if you went to China, let's say you went to Northeastern China, where I went the first time and taught at the university there. And you find a one and a half year old boy or girl or a two-year-old and they're learning Chinese. Obviously they're speaking Chinese. That's what they use in China. If a one and a half and a two-year-old in China can speak Chinese, do you think you at 30 or 40 or whatever it is, usually you're talking to adults and say, I just, I'm stuck in my ways. There's no way. Well, if a one and a half year old in China can learn Chinese, you can learn Chinese. You just have to get over yourself, understand that it's a language that was made to be used. And your brain is much more developed than a one and a half year old, two year old, four year old, even that would be, would be fluently moving through and saying, whatever, and all the different things I need to eat and use the bathroom and all the really important things in life that you need to learn. So those ahas allow a mindset for people to go, oh, yeah, good point. So then the next thing is, you know, the same thing that happened to me is like a deluge of rain that's coming down. The same thing goes with, if you want to learn a language, completely overwhelm yourself. That's how I feel about anything, really, is if I want to get something new in my life, just overwhelm myself and my brain will rise to the challenge. I like that. So let me do a quick recap. <clears throat> so what you said is you start off with a ravenous curiosity. Yes. You put yourself in a place of single swim. Yeah. And, and, and then with the mentality in mind, this narrative of pride or fear. Right. And then also the, the functional practicality of it, the functional skill of allowing yeah. you to travel. So all of these combined allows you to learn a language very quickly. And the reason I asked this question, I want to start off with language because language is a little bit more relatable. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more relatable versus yeah. something that's a little bit more esoteric, like consciousness or men's work or you know, oh, this right. other or parenting or mentoring, 
or even like blockchain. These are a little bit more esoteric. So I love that we start off with language. You had talked about, I think it was your、uh, team's mission is to use communication as a way to bridge different worlds together.、Mm-hmm. So, can you share with us、yeah. a little bit about why did you want to use communication or language or you、yeah. know technology as different paths to bring people together? A lot of places, but if I just had to come like with my gut, it was the fact that I think most of the world, when I look at it, it doesn't make sense. So it was sense making, and if I want to put things together, the only way I can look at is all the different edges of the world around me. If I want to solve a problem, I don't just go into the problem; I walk all around the perimeter of that problem. And the other thing. Is when we talk about language learning and as a mathematician too, it, these are techniques that you get outside yourself. Language learning is really great because it commands humility.、Mm. You screw up all the time. You're not going to be this curated perfection. I would never say that I have all the vocabulary in Chinese or in German or whatever. It's I have accepted a level of mindset or a way they think or a way another culture thinks because I surrender to that. Part of that surrendering is that humility, and that humility allows me to start to see that maybe these things aren't as disconnected as they first appeared. So the world is it, it, what drove me. I think mostly was like. Whoa, that doesn't seem right. And those people treating those people that way—that doesn't compute, or that doesn't work. So, what is that? And and then also the things that say I'll see in my local newspaper in the United States, and I look at a newspaper outside the United States, and it sees us very differently, or we see them differently, etc. And so it was more of, whoa, that can't be right. That's not us, or that's not them. And and all of the above seem to be true. So the humility allows for me to go. Okay, I'm not too arrogant to believe that I'm the center of the world, or the U.S. is the center of the world, or where I was raised, or how I was raised is the only way. Therefore, all the polymath is just really to me sense making, being able to go about life and have a good full life, and be able to impart it to others. That, that I think that's very important too. Is it's not just about me. If I find some fire that I can see my way through, and I can give someone a torch or a light, or better, that 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 would be better. So that that would be my first gut answer. Is it's more of a reaction to something where it's like, oh, this doesn't make sense, and so it's sense making. Oh, I love that. So in in your bio, use this line: Keith uses a mathematician's mind and linguist. Strategies to allow him to set powerful visions, build high-performing team, and lead initiatives. So I like that. So break it down for me. Let's say if I'm, you know me, I'm taking out this new crypto stuff and NFT because I think fundamentally shift something. Break it down for me with your mathematician's mind and linguist strategies to help me make more sense of this new technologies and the possibilities that lays ahead. Okay. So. Yeah, it's. I actually mean something when I do write it too. It's not some kind of blurb. So a mathematician's mind.、No. There are different types of mathematicians, but one of the, again, the opportunities as a mathematician is to pick apart why the math 
works. And so you have to do these proofs, right? You learn logic and you learn all the different tools that allow you to think through how did someone arrive at this simple equation? And so when you have to go through a proof or you have to go through solving equation for X and X is a very complicated thing to do and you find yourself solving in paper, you're basically trying to write it out and 20 pages later, you're coming to the wrong answer. And somewhere in those 20 pages, you, you have to have some level of rigor around, around understanding how you went wrong or where you went wrong. And, uh, and I wouldn't say I'm the, the most detail oriented. That's not my mindset, but then there's, I have this pattern capability where I zero into that's a problem. That's a problem. And, and so <clears throat> I think what's important is as if you want to fly or whatever, say you were talking about cryptocurrency and I don't see it as a cryptocurrency. I see it as a, a fintech evolution, an evolution of how do we use technology to enable better behavior, more, be, more people winning, et cetera. The problem is in this space is it's filled with what I would consider a lot of promotion. And if you're in any kind of executive role or any kind of role where you're running a company, you always know that when people come in the door, like a salesperson comes in the door, they're going to give you the upside. They're always going to give you upside. But so I always start with, well, give me the downside, right? Give me how you arrive here and what could go wrong in all these different things. I know you're going to give me the upside. I got it. I got your brochure. I got it. But tell me the other side of the story. And I think the rigor around that as a mathematician and, and, and the mindset of, Let's look at this whole thing. Let's examine this. And let's see how you came to your conclusion. What I find is more and more the amount of innovation that has come into <clears throat> this space because it really is about money or about finance and wealth, it's starting to move a lot of people to actually create something that is solving for some kind of X. And that gets exciting because when someone promotes and says, I've solved for X, then you can go back and go, did you? And then could you use another technology to do it? And more and more, you're starting to see actually, wait, this technology is, is useful and it is something that is not going to be, you use the cloud or you use other different technologies that you could just basically do it so much less expensively, so much easier and probably more secure. So yeah, that's what I mean by that. And then the linguist, I, I was already talking about that, the level of humility to look at it from a child's mind or from a, a mind of emptiness of every time you start to learn a language, you start like almost like an empty tablet. Yes, you have structures in your brain that are set up and all these things. Yes, we knew, do know that there are methods that are there, but the fact is, is the more you can wipe that slate clean, the more you can accept another grammatical the way syntax works in language. Like in German, you put the verb at the end of the sentence. There's a level of delayed mm. gratification to understand what the action about mm -hmm. this sentence is. Mm. And it forces the person to have a level of rigor to go through that. And as you know, in Chinese grammar, there is grammar, everybody. There's a lot of people who don't understand. Chinese has a lot of grammar. But if you, if you come at it from we're speaking English and I say, this is the grammar it should be, then I, I completely start to superimpose my mindset or what my understanding is on something that is not. 
It has its own history. It has its own way of thinking. It has all the cultures that are part of it. So when I think about finance, when I think about cryptocurrency, when I think about all this, it's extremely esoteric. Actually, it's dangerously so. It's cult level esoteric. And, and what I mean by cult- Why do you level, say that? Why do you say that? Cult level esoteric. Say more about that. What do you yeah. Because there are different things. When you look at a cult, there are different signs that you're in a cult or this is a cult. And it's not just a cult for religion. It could be a corporation. It could be anything. It's a, there's a leader, right? And without that leader, everybody's lost. And there are certain levels of control. If you don't do such and such, you are excommunicated. You're out, right? So you basically, I give, I join this organization and I give up my power and please don't kick me out because my identity is you. And so there are different things that occur for people when they're promoting things that they start to really drink their own Kool-Aid, which is, was from a cult, right? The idea of the Jim Jones cult in Africa, that what, what had happened, people drank Kool-Aid. If you know the story between behind the Jim Jones thing and what I'm saying. So it's a very dangerous thing when things are esoteric. This is why digital transformations, I see them as very different than, hey, I'm going to, we're going to look at a corporation. We're going to look at ourselves and we're going to put all these technologies in there and you guys are going to be just amazing, right? Everything's going to be working so much better and you're going to be able to track everything from knowledge management and you'll be able to execute all these different things. Those things are taking technology and running the business better or running your life better. But now you're getting into the place where you're saying, I'm putting my entire livelihood, literally it's currency. It's going to be wealth in this world that the majority of people have no idea and understanding what it is. And so all the promotion is, it's great, it's whatever. But if you've ever tried to use a, a wallet in cryptocurrency, you better go through a very strong process of security, like cybersecurity. You better go through a very strong process of just the computer code itself, understanding how this matches this and that. That is not a swipe the credit card moment that most of the people in the world, or I look in my pocket and I have a few dollars that I can give you for X. It's like, it, it is not the user-friendly environment that's being promoted. And, and moreover, lots of people are hacked. Lots of people are losing all of their livelihood that they put in that wallet. So this is why it's so important to have that mindset of how did we get here to this, what was promoted, who is handing us Kool-Aid, and then back in and say, but there's something good here. There's a reason people went here. They needed something. They wanted something. And so when you start to back into it, you start to actually see what could be very useful to people in their everyday lives versus hype. And, and you know me by now, most things are hype. And I know that drives a lot of markets and things like that, but I think it's also a very dangerous thing. So I bring up the word cult because there are personalities that drive this hype and make people think this thing is great, right? Is all ready to go and just wrapped up in a bow and it's Christmas time or whatever holiday, you know, you celebrate it's ready. And so it's not, it's a work in progress but it's a very important work in progress from the fact that we are, no matter what we think, we're moving from that physical world to trusting the digital world. And that digital world is so, as you use the word esoteric, intangible, you can't grab it. A friend of mine who's a longtime mentor, this is 
he's opened my mind in so many ways. He's in his 80s and he's definitely at the end of his life. And he's been a friend for over 20 years, mm. a deep friend. And he, and what he talks about is so, it's so simple and yet it's so powerful as he'll talk about, I, I go to sleep at night. I have a dream and I dream about amazing things and things that I, I'm able to acquire a million dollars in a bag. And, and I swear it's real. I swear it's real. And I wake up and I, I look for it. I look for the bag in my, on my pillow, on my bed. And there's no bag because the dream wasn't real. It was this esoteric world. The digital world is like that. Can you grab ones and zeros that are on your, your Gmail account? Do you, can you grab a Bitcoin? No, mm. you can't really, that whole world can disappear just like a dream. Mm. And you don't necessarily have you know, like capacity to do that. Now I, I can go in depth about that. Bitcoin's a little stronger in some ways about that, but the digital transformation, this is why it's easy to get lost along the way in the dream mm. or the dream state. Mm. And that's why cults that, that that's why I brought that up. You, you, you drop a lot of gems. Let me actually underline a few things. So you, okay. you talked about my uh, mathematicians, mind, right? We're looking at things systematically, really trace every step of the way, the logic yes. on the way, then the linguist, the strategies, keeping an open mind without superimpose your existing mindset or framework around it. So that way you can learn the hidden rules, the grammars underneath that. So yes. let's start there. And then you talked about the powerful vision that people set and you uh, caution us really just buying to drinking the Kool-Aid and so on. Yes. Leaving something that's more ready than it, than it actually is. That's roughly what you just cover. Yeah. Roughly. We can make the assumption that we will get the upside from everybody out there in the system. It's our job to start to actually get to why did they solve for X and is this solving for X in the best way? Okay, perfect. Great. So looking at a new problem, again, we're going to get a little meta. You and I were one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you because you and I were systems thinkers, so we can speak yeah. in more meta terms, but also please remind me to bring it back. So that way we don't get sure. so meta. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so looking at a new problem, how do you go about identifying the 80, 20? the 20% of the, the thing, yeah. the concept or the tool or the understanding such that we basically grasp grok 80% of what's happening. How do you go about really just like me jumping into crypto fintech or you know, yeah. NFT, go ahead and identify here are the 20% that's going to make 80% of the, the concept. So art and science, right? A lot of it is the experience of just seeing people say things and it doesn't pan out and you start to see those patterns. So there's an art there of just instantly seeing well, this looks like that pattern. It's starting to look like that. My, my answer is I go back to the feet on the ground. So we talked about, let's not be meta. Let's talk about how people who are in a cold culture, like where I've come from in the winter, it can get to 20 below zero. And if you get in a car and drive somewhere, you have to have a project manager's mindset. You have to have the things in your trunk. If you break down in a car, cars break down. 
<laughs> you right. <laughs> Stuff happens. You don't survive. There's a very tangible thing that's very, it's very real. You're not in the matrix. You're not a simulation. You will freeze to death unless you get someone to come to you right away. And this is how I think it's very important. Same thing if you go, if you come from farmland, if you plant the seed and you are able to take care of that seed in the way that it needs to be taken care of, you have food and you could feed the world, right? The breadbasket of the world type of concept. So I find that one of the most important things is to never drink that Kool-Aid so much. You, I get excited. I am a visionary along with you and other people, right? We, we want to create and blaze trails, but the real 80, 20 comes from do my cousins who are not, well, they might not have the technology background or whatever. Would they use it? Does this matter? Mm. Does this really matter? And it becomes like that UX experience, but it's not the theoretical Silicon Valley UX experience. It's like, does this really matter? Will this withstand the test of time? So my, my father always told me, right? Look at things. Things will come and go. Lots of things, fads, cults, whatever. But something that has withstood the test of time should look at it. Whether you like religion or you like this, look at it because it withstood the test of time for some reason. It fulfilled something. And so that 80-20 moment where I look at it and go, how would a farmer look at this? How would that really help them? Or how would a person that really just is living their life and trying to date or trying to do this or whatever, like really, why would they want to do this? Not because they were sold, not because of the promotion, not because everybody and their friends were doing it at the time. And all of a sudden, five years later, this whole thing is just a, everybody woke up and go went, well, what were we thinking? But it was more of, oh my gosh. So I can take certain things like the blockchain and I can start to make it travel. Meaning like we talk about NFTs or we talk about different things. I can actually start to empower people let's say people who weren't banked in different countries, like a lot of the world's unbanked. And I can not only empower them, <clears throat> giving them a currency, that's one thing, they've had currency. Wait, back up one sentence, unbanked yeah. as in they don't have a bank to put their money or their currency, is that correct? Correct, they, yeah, a lot of the world is unbanked, which means they don't get to take loans or put their money in a bank. They go, they work, they cash their check with a local person who takes a big chunk of that, but they are performing services for them, but they're not in this scenario where it's like, Hey, I want to take a loan to buy a house. I have some consistency or a loan to buy a car or a loan, a loan to start a business. And, and so they're outside of that system. And so they just, that's the system that they live in. And the way the system is currently right. Money is not smart. Money is not, it doesn't have any utility other than the things I just talked about. A bank has only three basic utilities. I can take and hold your money like a vault. I can loan you money. I can have something where I, I can loan you at a certain time, right? Interest or whatever. And so what I was getting to with the unbanked side of things is it can't look like the old world we know has a system that has been created and that's where we are right now.
we can say, oh, that sucks. And we're going to we're going to bank the unbanked in this way. We're going to create we're going to use this old system, but we can't get to the new way before we like understand that there are things in the old way. Great. Really great. We've evolved. The systems of systems has evolved. But then there's a new way of being able to say, what if I were to make money intelligent? What if I were to put program in money so that if I had something like a collectible or I was mining something in some country, no longer would another country just come in, take that, and then make a lot of money with it. Now I actually can put something like a cryptocurrency against it. And I can also start to incentivize everyone who is in that value chain. Now that's not meta at all. The, meta, the value chain is who found the oil, who found the gold, who found the whatever. They get incentivized because they're inside the, the compensation trail, right? And the same thing goes all the way down so that one person doesn't end up being the most wealthy in the current system because that's how current money it's dumb. It, it's a, a dollar just travels and does its thing as opposed to I can program that dollar. Now it gets interesting because we can utilize the old way. This is back to 80-20. You don't want to throw out the baby in the bathwater together. Just because the bathwater is dirty, we're still here as people, babies. So that's what I was trying to say is you can now serve those who, who are really not only needing to be served, but when they are served, they add so much to the world. So you are adding not just their ability to make money and, and co have commerce, but you're adding a whole level of, of dignity to the life that they can basically par be part of, of everything that's out there as opposed to being pariahs in some ways. I, it, it sounds weird, but it's like to a system, not to people, but to a system. No, I understand. Well, so you, you said a lot of <laughs> concept again, let me actually backtrack and recap. Okay. Of course. Yes. So, so what you said is when you look at a new problem, 80, 20 is you, instead of buying to the hype, you really look at, at the core of it, at the core of it, what is the first principle of thinking, right? What is the utility value? Right. Could my cousin or this everyday person use this thing? Because there is the utility value and there is the perceived value. Yeah. All that stuff aside, perceived value aside, all the hype aside, utility value, could this person use it? And then you start to really look at it. In, in, in terms of crypto, as, a, as an example, this is nothing more than a more efficient mechanism to allow money to travel. In addition to the old way of looking at money, loaning money, holding money, passing money, etc. to now you can then embed it in itself, these smart contracts. So that way, the, the everyone in the entire value chain, there's a more egalitarian type of approach, more trackability approach. And thus, unleash the power from the bottom of the pyramid to give them back more sovereignty, so to speak, yeah. more yes. dignity, so to speak. So that way they're not no longer beholden to be, to be outside of the current system. Is that roughly what you just said? 
Yeah, it's roughly, yeah. And I like that you use the word sovereignty. I use it as well. It's a heady word, but I think that <laughs> it's a powerful world word if a person has experienced a level of freedom that says, I can say what I want, as long as I'm not hurting somebody. I can do what I want, as long as I'm not hurting somebody. There's a level of, wow, unleashing a human being so that that sovereignty is there and and uh, human beings use money to see that as sovereignty i don't think it's the only thing for sovereignty as a matter of fact i think the mind is where most of the most of it all goes when it comes to you could have people in a prison and they have their own sovereignty and freedom more than a person way outside the prison right? prisoners of war for example playing like all kinds of things in their mind that they're so free compared to your normal person that's in a corporation that's, I'm in a, I'm a, a slave to the system or I'm whatever. So yeah, I think that sovereignty is a very powerful word to use and it is, it's a good goal to have, but along with that sovereignty needs to come that level of, of responsibility. Mm. I love that. So I'm very curious about where to strive to empower others to do that. Because with every interaction I have with you, you, you bring a lot of, there's a core desire to really empower others to, to be free, whether yeah. it's your mind or financial. So where did that strong desire come from? I think it was when I learned the language, it was this you know, I wasn't even in Germany and Austria that long, but it was just life altering for me. And when I came back, my father said, how was it? And I said, I would give up years in prison for the last five months because I experienced a level of freedom that I've never experienced before. I, I was a kid saying that in college, of course, I would never want to go to prison and never even want to imagine what a human has to be going through when they go into prison. But it was a very serious statement for me to make. And <clears throat> I talk about this matrix and I talked about the matrix way before the movie. Cause I thought about in math, a matrix, it looks like tic-tac-toe, like a lot of basically lines that you're trying to solve again and make it much more efficient and you're following flows of energy or flows of numbers. And, and when I, when you see them, they're all related in some ways, like Sudoku, is that the game? How you say it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you see how things can be related. And if you're one of those numbers in the middle of this giant multi-billion number Sudoku game, how do you get free to see outside the game? Mm. And I was freed to see outside the game. <clears throat> I was, I saw another culture. I wasn't beholden to all the rules of where I came from, even though I come from good people and all this, this great rules, great people, but they have their flaws. They have, everybody does this, this side has its flaws too, but now I was free to look and go, Oh my God, I was always worried about doing this, like being this way in, in society because these people would react and these people would react and get back to my father or whatever. And I was stuck in this matrix. And so being able to pull out of one matrix to another matrix allowed me to have that level of, of freedom. And when I realized that was possible, I said, 
geez, all human beings should have the opportunity to see that they're not stuck like they think they are. Right? They're not, it's like human beings are like, I, I, it sounds dark, but I think we're barreling down the road to really extincting ourselves. Really, this is a zero sum game, even in the universities and places where you think that people are supposed to be collaborating and all this stuff. It's like, it's a zero sum game. And then it's like barreling down the road that way. And there's a point where if someone can just allow a person to get outside and go, wait, there's this big picture here that you're stuck in that other world that if you just pull out, you realize this isn't the only way. This isn't the, this isn't the, the zero sum game isn't the only way to exist. And, and so I think the biggest thing there, CK, is that if a person tastes that level of freedom, it's like, it, it's almost a, it's, it's a weird feeling, but it's almost a duty or mm. some kind of compelling because it, it's like, a, I don't know how to describe it. Like probably how people describe religion. I'm guessing it's like, Hey, mm. I found this, I found God or whatever. Mm. It's like, I want to, I'm, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand God and religion, but I can be smart enough to know that I did experience something where I was free from a matrix for a small period of time, which allowed me to think differently and allowed me to understand that there must be billions, if not more matrix matrices that are out there. And mm. they all are all stuck inside their multi-billion Sudoku. Is it? Mm -hmm. I always say it wrong. So whatever they're stuck in there and they don't realize that every time they make a move and like in a spider web, it, it affects this thing over here and over here. They're stuck because there's so many layers. And the older the culture is, as you know, different cultures who have ancient uh, histories, that's even a longer matrix. So you're even stuck inside a generational matrix and, so, and matrices of matrices. So it's like, how does a person truly get free from that? There are ways. And that's the thing that all my methods and the way I go about things it's that Buchstabenkrankheit. You really have, it's a, a real ravenous curiosity of how, how, what's another way or another thing we can learn that will turn on the light over here or turn the light on for this person. Because the, the theory I have is if I'm a light of sorts and I've been able to turn on say 10,000 lights and each one of those lights, I turn on whatever their greatness is. It's not the same as mine or whatever, but they turn on a thousand lights or 10,000 lights or more, right? Now you have a mentality or a mindset that isn't about I'm the light. It's more of how do I turn on lights? And then people that get out of their own traps, right? How to, then what do you do? So then the, the question becomes that. So if someone knows that you were in a game, let's say the life, life game of life was a, a, a game mm -hmm. and you won the game. Mm -hmm. Then what? It's that moment where you became president or whatever it is. If you've seen, was it Robert Redford movie, The Candidate? I think it is. Mm -hmm. He rises to the point that he, and he like shockingly all of a sudden becomes, I forget what the, what the role was. I don't think it was president. But there was, at the end of the movie, it was, now what? Yeah. Like I won the game and I'm, I'm now this important political figure. Wait a minute what's next 
And I think that question is such a great question for people to get to. And, and so if you can get people to that question, they realize they won some game and there's nothing more powerful than a person having that level of sovereignty and going, whoa, okay, let's go to the, let's, what's next? Yeah. And, 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 you know, and be able to enjoy life better. Yeah, man. Yeah. You really touch upon the core of why I started Noble Warrior in the first place. Because ultimately, what we're coming at this freedom, this sense of freedom, this sense of sovereignty from multiple angles. And I interviewed different people when they touched on it, 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 they never arrive. There's always the it's a it's an infinite game. Yeah, you when you achieve financial freedom, and you go after consciousness when you maybe when the burning man or you have some creative epiphany yeah. the, the game doesn't end it continues forward but when we ask different people different type of questions come and really grasp at it really come and come at it talking about this eternal Tao, basically right like what is the sense of freedom that's that's available to us at any given moment whatever it is that you do and then, then more lights gets turned on yeah and and one thing that occurred to me after having done about 120 episodes and you know, have 120 similar conversations is this it's also this whatever ripple effect that we made when we have a conversation with someone turn on a light as you said earlier it's 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 intergenerational it doesn't stop yeah so it keeps going, whatever impact that we make. So thanks for sharing that, bringing it back to why I wanted to do Noble War in the first place. So with that said, let's, let's make it even more concrete. Crypto to me has that financial incentive built in. If freedom, sense of freedom is ultimately what we're going after, and unleashing the creativity and the dignity of the, the bottom of the pyramid and, and really everyone, what mechanisms or in terms of fine-tuning the incentives that you have come across that shows real promise to this idea that we're talking about? Have you come across anything? I think it's starting to peek its head out but I think it's mostly a, if you think about a kid who has a new toy and they get to play with that new toy and has all these facets, mm -hmm. I think that's what we're seeing right now. And we are seeing people become wealthy in crypto, whatever that means. Have I seen something that really can deliver on its promotion. I'd have to say, and I'm going to, it's going to be hard. And I'm sure some colleagues and friends are, what are you kidding? But we have to be hard on ourselves because the stakes are very important here that we are pulling the old world and we're building a bridge to it, which we've built tirelessly to protect people, to help people, etc., And I still see that it's so new that people are 
mostly playing with this. So you have collectibles, you have these things, lots of play, lots of people trying to reinvent a bank, um, trying to do things that find out the thing about it is in the systems that are out there, they, you have to, in order to make them work with regulations, people do all these backflips and all these different things that are, you have to use this token, do this token, this, that, and this thing, and this unlocks this. And then therefore you can pull this in and you're like, what? <laughs> like, it's, it's like, I can just imagine how a person who doesn't have any background in technology or just any kind of systems thinking. So I'd have to say that I don't see there are a few projects that have promise. So let's talk about it. Ethereum, it has some real drawbacks still. Uh, and we could talk about those because they have to be solved. But there is really something to be said around how it's decentralized. If you're really going to use decentralization and that that concept and not talk about distribution right or distributed systems it's decentralized systems and you can get to a place where a country really can't control it or an entity can't control it that's an interesting experiment that's gone on right because bitcoin can be like you could have a bunch of miners in one country such as china right and if you have that capacity, you can have what's called a 51% attack. You can essentially do something untoward when it comes to that network because you have a Bitcoin's purpose is to move a Bitcoin. That was, that's what its smart contract or it, its real purpose is, is to be able to move and transfer on a ledger Bitcoin. I know I simplified it a lot and people will say, oh, no, but suffice it to say it's not programmable money and it's not pro programmable uh, systems as well as it is a very hard to what they call it mining but it's you only have to you have one specific type of computer and you have to be upgrading all the time it's a, called an ASIC chip computer and so all those are basically built in China as well so you have and I'm not anti-Chinese I live there I taught at university but you have one place that's centralization. You have one place that basically builds all the chips that mines it. You have one place that basically has most of the miners because the electricity is inexpensive. And honestly, I think the, the people in China were way ahead of the game and understanding the value of this thing. But, but then you have this Ethereum thing and that you can mine with your phone. You can mine, you have to have powerful computers as well, but not an ASIC because an ASIC kind of goes at the speed of light. It just does one thing and that's all it does. And it solves that one mathematical equation, that cryptography. Then it you sounds, have It sounds very much like the Chinese culture. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, oh, I, I would have to think about that statement. They're very intense. They just do one thing, one thing really well. Yeah, yeah. So valuable to the world. The, 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 so many perspectives that I've learned in, in China, but to, to not take that tangent bait, the the project would be i think that is around true decentralization where they can start to solve the problems that are caused by that 
So if your listeners and, and people listening to this aren't, don't have the technical background, there are problems that cause, for example, it takes an immense amount of electricity to use the network, the decentralized network. It's called proof of work. You prove that your computer did the work and your computer did the work because you're pumping a lot of electricity in different systems like your GPUs and your graphic graphics cards and things like that. They take an immense amount of work. For example, let's say 950, uh, was it uh, watts? So if you have nine and a half, 100 light bulbs burning all the time, 24 seven, you're burning that level of energy in, in, in the system. And, and, and that's just one computer, right? So if you have several of these, you have these farms of these, you could just guess how much electricity is being used. So that's a problem, but it can be solved because more money gets put into this, the more innovation can happen, but you still, you can't look away from it and say no, but because a general processing unit, a GPU or whatever, you can use a regular computer they could be all over the world. One country is not going to have the market on it. And, and so you might have some things around electricity, but for the most part, you have a, a decentralized system that actually could function. And that's what it's done in some ways where people have built like businesses on the Ethereum network. And that's why I see it as a very powerful system. And am I espousing people go and invest in Ethereum. No, they have their problems. There's all kinds of things that are there. There's all kinds of other things that are coming along the way, but nobody has really uh, done anything that allows this promise of decentralization to really happen, except for Ethereum, in my opinion. And I think there's better technologies, honestly, but they just don't have the user base. And therefore I've seen this over years, over the decades, technology comes and goes. It could be the best out there. It doesn't mean it's going to win. It, it, it matters if people are adopting and working with you and innovating on your network and doing the things that are necessary. So I guess if I had any answer, which I probably shouldn't, it would be something that would be utilizing the whole point of what blockchain is trying to espouse and, and make it useful. I see. Yeah. Obviously, we're not here to tell the future. We're just speculating like everyone else, you know, but we're looking at it from a systems thinker point of view. So yeah. let me backtrack. Let's look at some of the unique properties of blockchain. Let's look at fundament. And then you mentioned, maybe it's worthwhile to mention some of those um, interoperability. Interoperability. Yeah, some of those things. Can you mention? Abilities. Yeah. Yes. Right. Talk about the abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in technology, like in cloud, and when you're building diff different large enterprise systems, the illities are, is it scalability, right? Is it, is it interoperable, interoperability and security, even though it's not an illity? What are the things that you need in order to make sure that system functions in the way that the users will be able to actually work with? So scalability, blockchain has that. So if you have a copy of whatever the ledger is across every co computer in the world, can that scale? And it's proven it can scale enough. And so therefore all people can continue to build their businesses or build new ideas and these smart contracts all over the place, all over the world, 
uh, doing all kinds of different things because all smart contract is, is a program saying, I'm giving you instructions when you come to me and something is met, like a behavior is met, that you can move through and execute on these instructions and it's complete, meaning it's, they call it Turing complete. And the idea is that it's the next ability would be immutability, right? What that means is once it's Turing complete, it's like compiled code, it's out there and there's no kind of tearing it back. You you could say, I'm not going to use it anymore or whatever, but you basically have created this being that is sovereign, if, if you will, and goes out there. Now, I think it still is not as immutable as everybody thinks. However, immutability is one of the illities. And, and so the concept of blockchain is that the more we put blocks in the blockchain, the more secure it, it can become because you are calling back to different blocks in that blockchain and you have to solve for X again and again. And it just gets further and further layered. So what does immutability mean is, hey, once it's on that blockchain, let's say something happened a year ago on the Ethereum network, I could go to Etherscan and I could check out that transaction. And I don't necessarily need to see the person's name, but I see the wallet address. I see the technical address that happened from this to that. And I can see what occurred, meaning it's on a ledger. It's a big ledger in the sky or whatever. It's like this thing that is forevermore. So it's immutable. In, in theory. And, and so I keep saying that because can it be hacked? Maybe. But if it's not hacked and you know the security is getting better and better and you know that this ledger, you can count on it, then you start to realize, hey, nobody can fiddle with the numbers like you can with a centralized system. And so mm -hmm. if you're in a centralized system, say, I don't know if you've seen like movie Office Space or something where the guy has a server and he changes some parts of it. So he gets a fraction of a penny that's sent to his bank account. So no one necessarily notices he's doing that from a centralized server. He's going in to the program and he can change databases. He can change people's names. He could change things in systems. Yes, there are controls in corporate environments, but so okay. hard, you could change yeah. things. It's not immutable. Right. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Uh, scalability, right. immutability. What's next? interoperability. I think that's going to be the key one. As a matter of fact, I can't probably come up with all the illities in the morning here, but interoperability, because let's say you have, you have the ability to use these smart contracts, as long as someone has a technical system, like they call it a wallet, it's not like your billfold or whatever. It's not that kind of wallet. It's a technical program that allows you to recognize and basically hold your ledger, your copy of your ledger so that you can say to the world, I can interface with the blockchain. You can recognize me, but that's really important because if you've ever traveled in other countries and you try to use a credit card that you can use in the United States and you can't use your credit card in that, in that country, you're really in trouble. Do you have their currency? No, it didn't bring any currency with me. I didn't do any exchanges. Uh-oh. What do you do? Because you're not interoperable. You don't have that ability to, to travel. So when you have, yeah, you have this traveling capability and describing it, they have, they have these different 
standards, right? So ERC-20 is a standard. If you have a wallet ERC-20, you basically use that standard to interoper interoperable, be interoperate. And let's use the NFT world, for example. Let's say there's a marketplace, a la eBay, but it's its own marketplace that is for NFTs. And I list, I create a smart contract. Basically, I create an NFT that's ERC-20 compliant, but Ethereum, it's Ethereum network. I can list it on that marketplace. If I'm not satisfied with that marketplace, all my data and listing, I could take and put it somewhere else. Or I can sell it to someone else outside that marketplace, as long as it's still my property. If I put it in the marketplace and it gets resold, that's a whole other thing. But the point is that you have freedom because I'm not just stuck with, if I listed on Amazon, I, I had to go through all the stuff I listed on Amazon. I, it doesn't come out of Amazon and go onto eBay easily. It doesn't come out of eBay and go onto Etsy or whatever. It, it doesn't, these are different centralized systems that don't allow them to interoperate with each other. In this case, I can take this entity, this asset and move it. So if you take the other illities that you're pointing out before is liquidity and, and tradability, liquidity just says, are there people out there doing this? Are there people that are actually trading it? Is there enough people in this network where they're buying what you're selling? And if there's not, they're not liquid. So therefore you created this great thing. Oh my God, this is the greatest technology in the world, but nobody's using it. This is why I was saying by why Ethereum is so important. There's so many people using it. There's so many people interacting with this thing. They're building all businesses on this thing. So if I know that's the case and I know that people are out there buying it, now I'm liquid and I can have these marketplaces where I can put it on a marketplace. And if it's not working, it's not liquid enough. I pull it off the marketplace and I put it on this marketplace, interoperable. So I can do that. Or someone else in say China has a wallet that has ERC compliant. I can go ahead and I, they can buy it and easily and put it on their wallet. So it's none of this kind of like a uh, problem where are you in yuan or am I in US dollar? Are we in the yen? But it's not that. It's like it, you basically have this consistent uh, network. And then you bring up tradability too. But let's take a, a step back when we talk about tradability. There's the fungible world and the non-fungible world. And for people who don't know the difference, there's a way to easily describe it. A fungible token or a fungible currency is consistent. I know that if I give you a dollar, you can give me 100 pennies back. I would not prefer that. Right? It would be heavy. It would be clunky. But I always know that 100 pennies will make up that dollar. Or four quarters. You could give me four quarters. It's fungible. It, it, I know that I, I can trade you this for that. Whereas the non-fungible world is really, it stands on its own. So that means if I have a ticket to a, what's a concert, what's a group you like in music? Whatever. Uh, let's say whatever Stevie the whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stevie wonder. <laughs> I'm going to Stevie wonder concert. That's yeah, great. Yeah. And, and Coachella. He's at Coachella this year. Sure. And, right. And so I've got this ticket and, uh, and so that ticket is worth so much to you. So much. You bought it for a couple hundred dollars, $400 or whatever it is nowadays. Right. But it's worth, it's not, it's like the old credit card company. I forgot who it was. It's priceless. It's you. If those, if there, there were only so many of those tickets sold and you knew they were all sold out, 
and someone came to, came to you and said, hey, man, I'll give you 10 grand for that because it's a subjective, right? This is the non-fungible world, it's subjective. And you're like, no, I wouldn't take a million dollars for this because it's so valuable to me, I'm going to go to this thing. So now you have a non-fungible world. I can't break up that, that Coachella ticket. I can't say, okay, you know what? If you give me a million for half of it, we're good. And instead of the pennies and the quarters, you have the dollar, it's not going to be able to be broken up. So it really travels as this tradable asset, this thing that trades and it trades in a way where whatever the market says it's worth. You follow me so far? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when tradability is there, it's, is this tradable and how is it tradable? If it's tradable as a fungible thing, that's easy. Like Bitcoin, Ethereum. So Bitcoin's a great example. They're, they're broken up into Satoshis. Think it was the pennies of Bitcoin. You get, there's always a certain number of Satoshis per Bitcoin. And so I can trade you numbers of Satoshis for numbers of something else, but mostly it's just, it's fungible. It can flow. People back to linguistics, right? Currency, current, flow. You have, there, there's this aspect that's there. That's why when people say NFTs are non-fungible token currency, I go, it's not about currency. Uh, it's about that ticket. It's about that collectible. It's about that maybe a, a deed to your house. It's this thing that you can't break it up, but you still can trade it. So back to the idea of interoperable and in liquid, now I can actually put it out there and I can trade it for something else. So I don't necessarily need to say, I'll trade you US dollars for my Coachella ticket for Stevie Wonder. I'll trade you Bitcoin. Or I'll trade you another ticket that I didn't realize was even more valuable to me, but it was less valuable to you. So barter system. So there's a tradability factor there. So the illities are so important because when you put them all together, now you have left the world that I was talking about earlier, which is the system that we currently reside in is money doesn't do anything. This, the dollar bill that I'm looking at right now, it's dumb. It doesn't know what it's supposed to do. It just sits there and I give it to somebody and they give me candy or they give me something. They give me some food. <laughs> and in this case, now I have a system with all these illities. I have a system also where I can program that money to say when this particular person receive or this type of person in this business receives you, then you release these many things or you give them this and you also are allowed to, that person when they have it are allowed to transfer it and make money on this. And oh, by the way, that person will always have a royalty to you if you're the original creator. Let's say you were a creator of art. So I can program my dollar. Yeah. So real quick, let me do a quick recap because we of covered course. a lot of ground just now, right? It's super nerdy. I know that guys who was watching this super nerdy, but what Keith is pointing to, and this is the reason why I wanted to focus on this very specific features of the blockchain technology is this. The founder of Wax, uh, yeah. well and quickly, Yes. And ask the question of how do you evaluate the possibility of what blockchain does? And he's he gave a very cryptic answer. He said, oh, you just look at what blockchain allows you to do 
better than traditional occurrence other things right that's a very smart answer actually right so then what that actually reminds me of what you just said these type of illities because those are the unique features of the blockchain technology uh, what what that allows so if you think about it from these are the features what are the combination of these things that allows the everyday uh, you know joe schmo to do something better with their life that's when new application, new possibility, new discovery, new yes. innovations happens. That's why I'm spending so much time we to ask these questions of, oh, what is unique about this particular technology? Is that a good recap of what you just said? Yeah, I think William said it in one sentence, but I just spent 20 minutes saying one of the, the things back, bringing it back to why math and thinking of everything in math as well, cryptography is math, <laughs> uses math. And I remember when I was studying linguistics, this is going to be helpful. I know it, it I guess it is nerdy. I, I just, I live in my world sometimes, but. No, I love it. We read, <laughs> You're speaking we, to a fellow nerd here. We read in linguistics, there was a, a fellow is that wrote a lot in the space and he also started writing a lot in other spaces which was interesting but his name was noam chomsky i think he's still alive one of the things that blew my mind was let's say you're in a language and it only has ten thousand words or a hundred thousand words so english i forgot how many it has it has a lot of words but some languages have a lot less but he pointed out combination theory like the more variables you have and the more those things can be mixed up the more chance you have an inf infinite, like literally he, he pointed to infinity. So in the English language, there's infinite ways I can make a sentence. Therefore, he said the probability of someone uttering the same sentences I just uttered are very low because we're swimming in infinity. So the more illities that you have, the more you can mix them up in combinations. So to your point, some things like cloud and eBay, yeah, they're tradable. And uh, the New York Stock Exchange, that's liquidity. You have these illities in different places, but do you have the programmability? Do you have this? Do you, so when you put all those together and you can start to put them in their own little uh, recipe, right? So you have the combinations and you realize that combination has a use, like William said. it's a It, it has a use that you go, wait, cloud can't do that. And this can't do that. So therefore, this is different. Then you ask the question, does anybody care? That's right. Is it functional? Is it, does it offer utility value? Right. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, no, it's, you have a bunch of uh, people who can market it well and influencers jump in and do lots of great things and everybody goes, Oh, whoa. And then it's the, off to the next thing. It's like that shiny thing. And then you're done and you're, you're moving on to this other thing. So most of the time, no, no one really cares. It's not really valuable at all. And, uh, and then the other thing is in order to make it work, they have to centralize things more and more. So you lose that. And so there's that idea of don't look over here, the man behind the curtain, but look over here. What I told you is the valuable thing that we're doing. So the key is, is that if you can make that recipe work, right. And the combinations that are necessary and someone actually cares, like it's really valuable. Then you're, you're enabling all the things that we talked about, such as when we talk about problems of the unbanked or all the real problems that human beings truly face that 
they don't have to be super technical, but you realize you help them solve problems. You know, actually, this reminds me of if we have, we, let's say we have six different illities, as you said, let's just say, if yeah, that's yeah. the case, we can essentially do a permutation of all these different combinations and then look at all of the projects that's out there that's and put true. them under the different, really use that as a way to brainstorm, like, hey, we can put this in this bucket, and then which ones actually have the most traction, the most user base, yeah. and then use that as a rubric, as a way to say, hey, that may be an emerging thing that we should pay attention to. Let's put some energy, resources, people, or whatever research behind it, such that to help it grow along the way. Are there people looking at this in that systematic way, or are there better ways that systems thinker can actually ride the wave or help the wave or pedal before other people do. Well, that's obviously a critical thinking exercise. I'm not, I don't know if people are doing it for their analysis. It would make fun. Uh, it make it fun as an analysis because as critical thinking, we don't have to do critical thinking when we only have two options, but the more variables you use, the more chances that problem has no real solution. It has variants of weighted solutions, right? So when you're talking about these variables and you can start to look at the different things you're talking about, you could have a critical thinking analysis process that I think would be very interesting to see that you start to see, wow, 80-20 looks like programmability and uh, interoperability are really key or whatever. And so the projects that are associated with that are these and look what took off and look what didn't take, took, take off and then do some more critical thinking analysis about what parts of that uh, allowed things to take off and not take off. So you start to see patterns across the board and it could be very fun to see that kind of critical thinking analysis done, but no, I don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't do that. I, I, I look at what I think again, I try to not get lost in, as you call the nerdy stuff. And I try to get back to the feet on the ground farmer or a person packing the car and it's going to be freezing cold. Why do I care in real life? And most of the time I don't, most of the time, as I said, hype, junk, not really valuable. The beginning of something, the hope, right? like a Star Wars thing, like a new hope or whatever it is. Like, mm. It's like, but eh, very early on and lots of people playing with new toys. Let me ask you a question about as a systems thinker, as an, as, a, as an architect and you're really looking at because you're looking far ahead, you're looking like secondary effect, tertiary effect, and how does that actually not yeah. just satisfy the curiosity, the toy playing of the elites, but rather actually, how does it actually benefit a farmer in sub-Sahara in Africa, things like that. How do you go about doing that? Do you sit and think about the secondary tertiary effect that way? Are there are you in regular communications with people uh, in terms of network of conversations that they may have? Maybe there's a particular uh, community with pent up passion and then you're like, oh yeah, here's maybe a widget, right? Made by blockchain that can potentially help unleash that passion. Like how do you go about thinking about these type of things as a systems thinker? Yeah. There are definitely methods that I use. There's some critical thinking just a moment ago. I think a lot of times 
it's just going around in the world and seeing problems. I've been that way since I've been a child. And, and so if I see a problem, it's not necessarily just a problem. It could be an opportunity. And so the more people that I talk with, especially people in business or in a place where people are trying to get something done. So I'm lucky enough to be able to consult with lots of businesses or, you know, work in lots of businesses and experience different ways of getting things done as well as all the problems that they're trying to solve to be able to sell something. Usually if you're selling something, you're solving something, hopefully. If not, you will be around for all of whatever months and it's going to be over. But, you know, I don't think I come at it from some kind of scientific thing. I would say that life itself is just this, a lot of things where I'm learning constantly and keeping my mind open constantly back to linguistics. I'm well aware of the lacking nature of any form of human language to really to grasp what's going on. Like the, the, the real stuff that's happening and the real ability to communicate there are all, there are whole communication theories out there that say human beings never have communicated, which is really interesting, but they're, they're, they should be, they should be understood in the fact that it's very hard to, be, to actually understand what each other may be saying. And especially when there's a problem being expressed. So I think more of because of the way I've overcome problems that I've talked about, that it's a, uh, a factor of when I find a way where I see the, that there isn't a way that communicating to the others that are coming after me or whatever, that's the case. So I don't think I have an answer for you when it comes to, I have a tried and true process. I'm just living life is how yeah. I answer. Yeah. I don't think I'm meandering through life, but I, I am living life and I'm definitely picking up all the pieces I possibly can to sense make. And then when I sense make, I share it. Yeah. Certainly that was more of a Socratic inquiry more than anything else about what does it actually take to so that I come at it. Because in your bio, you had said, Keith creates a bridge between organizational and human cultures. Yeah. And then one of the things that's really clear to me, this reminds me of a quote. I can't remember who said this, but I thought it was really brilliant. It says, commerce is the ultimate language for peace. Huh. I don't know. Is commerce the ultimate language for peace? It might be. I mean, that's one man's perspective, right? One person's perspective. And to me, that makes sense in that if it, it, it aligns incentives, right? So if, if you can actually create prosperity yeah, and then that's what's going to maintain peace ultimately, in my mind, it's in the most simplistic sense. And then your passion for fintech, for, for blockchain creates that bridge, that mechanism between different cultures, a geographic or otherwise as a way to create this collaborative environment. So, yeah, I think at commerce, you have to qualify things, right? 
because win lose commerce, no. Mm-hmm. That creates war. Mm-hmm. In a business with someone that they think you you lost, they won, and that's how they play. Then guess what? <laughs> people are in business and they're suing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, or so I would be careful with certain types of same statements. I think it was Milan Kundera. What he wrote the unbearable likeness of being right. And mm. his purpose was to make sure that he helped you understand that when you're, cause it's about cults, I think the way I read it, but it was the aspect of human beings or human systems are not analogies and metaphors, even though metaphors and analogies are extremely important to use, to be able to get the point across. Because again, we're lacking in communication and specifically, mm-hmm. unfortunately languages, that idea of making sure that we don't make it too simple is very important. And I think it's, it, and he was pointing out that there was a reason that bad governments uh, came in. It was, I think it was communism he was pointing to at the time, or which basically took people's freedom. And they did it by causing people to have these uh, analogies and saying, man is like a chair. And it was like, no, man is a man. <laughs> but as soon as I got you into that world of metaphor, meta, I got you into the space the dream space, I can do a lot with you. This is back to why I think the digital transformation is so important to have the right architects and the right guys yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever in it, because you can absolutely go way off kilter. If you're not just not careful, if you're not vigilant every step of the way, right? If you're not like, I've got to be on this, I've got to be on this. And, and so who is like that in life? Most of the time it's cruise control. So yeah, commerce is peace or is the best way to peace. I think it's a nice beginning, but I also believe that back to all these illities, let's start giving it flavor. Let's start expounding on what type of commerce. So if we create systems that if you mess with those systems, you destroy the fabric of, of civilization that might be something, right? If you create something between, say, countries that are at, at loggerheads right now, China and US, whether they are going to be at real loggerheads or they're not, but you create a system for the two where their interests are aligned commerce-wise so much That's that right. if one does this or that does that, they That's both right. really fall. That's right. right. Now that, those illities that could be programmed in that system. Now that's interesting, mm. right? That now that has, that's useful. It's useful because then you and I will know, Hey, we're not going to be bombed and we're not going to be bombing and all this crazy stuff that human beings like to do with each other to figure out, I guess I often don't understand completely, but whatever, why people go to war, if you really dig into it, you're like, <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah. It's more about ego than than actual the collective value creation ultimately. And yeah. then when I said what I said, why you even brought it up, that's what I have in mind. This intertwine uh, synergistic coexistence. Because ultimately yeah. we all live on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> as, as we were pointing to earlier, if we actually destroy the ecosystem just so that we can have the maximum monetization or whatever, it's really dumb because you live in the same lifeboat. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Let me give you an example. It's very dark, but it's a very true thing is like, what's some of the best, com- not the best, the most successful commerce out there is not good, right? 
it, it, it so it's human trafficking, especially children. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is a, people see it as an asset. Mm-hmm. So that's commerce, mm-hmm. right? But that does not lead to a good place if you're mm-hmm. you know enslaving another human being to do whatever you want them to do, and it, it's a big business. That's why I, I want to qualify those things, just like Milan Kundera talked about the importance of qualification. And there is something to be said about systems within systems. But back to the mathematical mind, you're solving for the simple equation that someone arrived at, Blase Pascal, or some, somebody arrived at this equation. But along the way, man, you really do have to have the level of how did we get here? And it's I use this axiom, this corollary, and this mindset, and I break it down and I say, well, we could switch this thing out with this. And all of a sudden, I've proved how I got from point A to point whatever, Z. And, and so I would say that point A is commerce is leads to, to peace, maybe, or point Z is, whichever it is. But it's very important to understand that you need to qualify. Yeah. So if you don't mind, let's actually segue a bit because I know that you're hugely passionate about men's work, consciousness work, in addition to technologies. Yeah, of course. Uh, what are some of the ways, because one of the things that we do talk a lot on this podcast a lot is we make what we are. Ultimately, whatever we make externally, mm-hmm. technology, business, organizations, effort, projects, or otherwise, stems from the way we think. Whatever we make would be a, a amplification of, of our consciousness. So for you, uh, curious to know, I know you're deep in consciousness work, and what are some of the ways to really fine tune your own consciousness as well as the consciousness of, of an organization such that you could be, as you said earlier, vigilant always yep, yep. to make things from a conscious space rather than just in cruise control as you alluded to earlier. So that's a long subject, but it's, it's one year is very important because most of life is uh, human beings are in this irrational state because we're in a body and we're animals and we have the things that, you know, come up with animals from fighting, fighting, sex, all the different things that human beings um, go through. And an interesting thing is if we were to be just in our heads, we probably would be always moving five steps forward. But then all of a sudden we break up with someone and there's 10 steps back. So the emotional world is so important. It completely can just atomically bomb the mental or the, the, the nerdy world, as you were calling it before. Um, so, uh, I, I, I mean that in the most loving way because I'm a nerd myself. So That's yeah. cool. No, that's all good. Hey, labels are cool. And... Uh, I actually honored to be called that. I, I don't see myself as that. I often see myself as very dumb because I just don't understand everything. And and so everything doesn't fit together. And so I'm like, I just feel stupid all the time, but it, I don't beat myself up for it. I just go, okay, well then let's, uh, let's try to figure this out and do some sense making. And so part of that, the men's work and part of um, that whole, how do we, how do you look at even Buddhism and because you were talking about what is in your brain manifests in your, as your destiny, right? There's the eightfold path in Buddhism that is very important that you could start to, again, it's just like a mathematical proof. If you start here and it's a thought and it becomes a word, then it becomes a deed and it becomes a destiny. Those are all great, but the power 
of life is experiencing it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's, I go back in high school, we tried to, they try to have us read Shakespeare. I hated it. I, w- I was like, what is this, right? The mm-hmm. slings and arrows of life and the blah, blah, blah. And because I hadn't lived life, I, don't ha- I didn't have those experiences. This is very deep wisdom that's mm-hmm. put into Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these adults coming at you going, you've got to, to the kids, you've got to understand Shakespeare and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what the <laughs> heck are you talking about? And then you live life, you go through breakups, you go through things, mm-hmm. you get fired from a job, whatever happens. All the things that happen to people, lose a parent, lose someone special or gain someone special, all those things. And you start to experience them directly and you go, oh my God, Shakespeare's really cool. Mm-hmm. There's something here. And so I think that one of the problems people have, or I have had, I've had as well is trying to understand something that I don't, I've not experienced. Mm. And then giving advice on it. That's even better. Like you have coaches. Let me coach you. It's, well, have you been to that mountain before? No, but I can coach you to get to the top of the mountain. Well, you have been, what's at the top of the mountain? I don't know. But, <laughs> right? It's like, wait, like, what kind of coach are you? So, okay, you're a coach to make me work out so I can get to each plateau of the mountain. That's cool. But if you're a coach, if you're saying you're a coach here, we've just drank our Kool Aid and I get it. You had to put your website up, but let's not play this game with each other. Mm. So men's work, there are different movements that have happened through life. There was a women's movement, very important. And so there was a reaction, how the world would behave. And men started to start to look at themselves and the behavior they had and some of the very, very negative behaviors they had and examine them. And they became almost the other pendulum, a lot of People that had a reaction to the women's movement had a reaction over here and then quashed or squashed or whatever the other parts of being a man. So what happened is they went all the way in this pendulum, which made them like, they call them the new age man or whatever. There's all kinds of labels, but the point is, is they weren't being authentic. They weren't being who they were. And so the men's movement grew and the men's movement was said, what is a man? Is this macho thing that some cultures say oh, that and I'm in pain? No, I'm not. I'll never, no, and I'll never go to the doctor and I'm, I'm too strong and I'm forever this and I, I'm virile. And you know, I'm going to show you pictures on Facebook because I'm really feeling problematic. So I'm in the gym and I'm here. And I'm, is that what a man is? Mm. Or is that, is that somebody who basically is just trying to live the caricature of mm. what a man might be? Mm-hmm. At the same time, what was valuable? What was really valuable about being a man? So those things, they're not taught to us. We usually go through life. Fathers try to pass on the sons the best they have of knowledge and wisdom, but it gets lost because the father wasn't perfect and the father had their issues and they passed on their issues. And so the tribe of men do have a need to have their their ability to be with each other so that they can actually say, what does this mean? And what are your feelings about it? And realize that vulnerability and feelings could be more powerful than 
I am the guy who's super aggressive and I don't smile and I don't do all those things. So how do you get to that place? You own your emotions. You sit in a group of men who call you out when they see you not being authentic. They're not mean about it, but they're like, look, you've given me permission to call you out. And I'm hearing you tell me this great story about how wonderful you are or how wonderful life is. It's just wonderful. You've used the word wonderful like 15 times in the last three sentences. What's up with you? Well, it's just wonderful. And what was that one fellow that wrote uh, that one book? If you see the Buddha on the side of the road, kill him. That fellow, it's a great book. Basically, it's the man who sits there and he's got that smile on his face, but it's so inauthentic. Mm. He's got that Buddha smile and everything's mm. okay. Everything's just mm. okay. And so the movement was there to say, look, check in with yourself. That smiles, maybe you're enraged, you're freaked out, you're whatever, but you're acting like I'm going to go cut my flowers and I'm going to go do this. And I'm just, everything's great. And I'm just at peace. I'm going to go sit down in my field of pretty flowers and I'm just going to contemplate the universe. And so it's the, that's BS. Life is messy. Being a human is messy. That's what Shakespeare was about. Being all this is really messy. So how do you deal with that mess? If you have a tribe or if you have a place you could share your mess with, if you will, or people can actually help you call out that mess, then you start to become realizing that you're telling a story. We talk about telling stories. Like, why are you caught up in the story when you should be caught up in your feelings? Check in with your feelings. What are you feeling? And we talk about mad, sad, glad, fear, or shame. I feel these other feelings. You know what? Let's put you in a box a little bit. What are you feeling? What's a real feeling? And then you realize fear, total fear or anger or people who haven't grieved properly, sadness. But that was the same person 15 minutes ago was going, wonderful, wonderful. How are you? Wonderful. And then you dig in and you realize this person is in a very bad place in life for themselves personally. They may have a ton of money. They may have whatever, but they're so sad or they're so angry and they don't have the mechanisms to deal with it regularly. It's not like, hey, I finally saw my sadness. I'm healed. I'm enlightened and it's done. No, tomorrow you show up and life happens to you again. And if you don't have that mechanism to check in, it can just build up and build up. And then life is just wonderful. It's not. And so you, you follow So the consciousness movement for me again is back to feet on the ground. And uh, I know you'll do You like to do the recaps. I think that's really cool. I'll, so let, let's get this idea here is there's soul work mm -hmm. and there's spirit work, spirit work, is, difference? soul yeah. work and spirit work. Yeah. Spirit work is sexy. It's the thing that gets put on the big billboards and believe this thing and you will go to this place in the sky or wherever it's, it's really good. Spirit work is that's really cool. And I feel wonderful. And we're all together and we're singing and mankind is, and womankind is together in a circle dancing around that spirit work. We're doing all the spirit work. It's like feeling right. the thing and going to that soul work is in the mud, the dirt, the guts, the pain, the real ugly parts of that stuff that we deny, repress or hide. What uh, Carl Jung talked about as being the shadow right? work. Yeah. The shadow work. 
And so soul work, it's just as it's the opposite of spirit work. It's like unsexy. It, it's like a man, if he's in a circle of men and he's screaming his mouth off and he's cussing and he's just this, that's soul work. That's getting to your soul and really wrench, getting it out and understanding what's going on with you. Where are you? And are you going to die before you actually face the fact that your soul is in torment? Why is your soul in torment? Because you're sitting there smiling or you're sitting there telling people a story or showing people a story on your Facebook or whatever that you know is not true, is not authentic and not aligned. So both work is very important. Of course, the, the human work is very important, but I find that the soul work, just like in the crypto space and all the stuff, that's where your feet are on the ground. That's where mm -hmm. the BS walks. Mm. And if you get yourself in a community that allows you've given permission to say BS, then you have a real fighting chance of having a life that actually is well worth it, it lived. Mm. Okay. A real fighting chance that's, that's well lived. Can you qualify what's well lived? I think that what uh, Socrates said is what is the point of life and a life well lived or something like that. Qualifying it is know thyself. What that says is that's uh, forget which the at the foot of the Acropolis, is it? I, wherever it is in, in Greece. And what it's really saying is don't know thyself. Hey, I'm a doctor. I'm these things. Know that shadow, know who you are. And therefore you're going to, you're actually going to inhabit that body. So a, white, a life well-lived is where you're not sitting there trying to go on some trip, right? That's the spirit work where you go on a trip off into the ether and, hey, you travel through the cosmos and all these things that people in spirit work do. It's okay. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I'm, you know, I'm not even from this planet. It's like, wow. That's amazing here. Like, Tell me which planet you're from. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's spirit work. I'm just, I'm, I'm able to go across the cosmos. So that's cool. Soul work is like, all right, I got to go to work and I hate my boss and or whatever. And so it's, I'm just, I got to walk there. <laughs> my car broke down. And, and so I have the dirt that's there. So life, a life that is well lived is you have a reality check going, okay, I'm here. I'm now, this is my life. As you said, it manifests exactly how my brain and what my thinking process is. And if I'm clean and clear about that, if I want a different life, then I know what to do. I'll change my thinking process. I'll change where I walk. I'll change these things. As opposed to spirit work, you can't do that. And spirit work, by the way, is rife with the cults. Soul work, you it's good luck trying to, trying to sneak in there because you're constantly re-examining yourself and each other all the time to just make sure that whatever is unexpressed is, uh, has its opportunity to be there so that you can be present of what you really are and who you really are. Yeah. So quick recap, what okay. you said just now to me, I can't remember who said this, a life on exam is not a life worth living. That me, was Socrates. Yeah. Socrates, right? Yeah. So to me, very much about introspection personally, hence why Noble Warriors started just really with the desire of what does it actually take to live and to create a future of fulfillment and impact also yeah. ultimately to me that's what matters to me so i talked to various people to really examine as you said it the light and shadow work right yeah. uh, and to me and it, it reminds me of the buddhism principle of the source of suffering is not 
accepting reality as it is, rather as grasping for the positive emotions or averting the negative ones that you don't want. So there's a great parallel to what you just said. And actually, how do we actually live our life embracing all of it, feel all of it? So I really loved how intentional you are really about, as you call it, the soul work, the shadow work, really embrace all of it versus just pretending that's not there, denying that's not there, or ignoring altogether. What you also said is you put yourself in a community where the men that you're with, the community that you're with are willing to take that risk to shine a mirror on you and say, hey, here's what's really going on from a compassionate space, not from a judgmental space. Here's what you said that you want. Here's what you say you're committed to. But are you seeing these things that you're not aware of? Yeah. Is that a rough recap of what you said? Service to other men. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. Why do you think this is important for visioneers, for visionaries, for people that are building the future of society, technology, organizations, and communities, and so forth? Why do you think this work is important? I have my opinions, but I'm curious to know your thoughts. A visioneer is a leader. And leap is an ancient... I don't know where it came from. Maybe China, but there's three monkeys. Like one has his hands over his ears, one's over his eyes, and one's over his mouth. And it's the speak and hear and uh, see no evil or something to that effect. I always think about that it's like a monkey see, monkey do. Human beings, if a person, if you see people who have children, And they tell their children not to do this, but they're doing it. The children will grow up to be just like them. Mm -hmm. No matter what humans want to believe, when they look at leaders, they look at parental figures. It's just how they operate. Now, sovereignty allows them to operate outside that more and more, right? When they start to have that freedom that you don't necessarily need a father figure. But leaders are that. They have your attention. They are blazing a trail. And should they live a life that they say that their life is very different than what they're selling, no matter what they're selling, the people will follow that life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can have, this is where the cult of personality comes from, right? So all these different things. So I would say that I think the most important thing for leaders, when you're saying you're checking yourself is to understand that no matter what you say and whatever is out there, monkey see is what going to monkey do. What kind they, then it begs the question, what kind of world do you want? Do you want a world that is stealing each other's ideas, backstabbing, going from, you know, one relationship to another and, and then going out there and being cool, right? Is that the world you want? Because that's who who's going to follow you. All your influencers will be created that way. Every, every People will follow your lead. And so if you're a real trailblazer and you say, what kind of world do I want? Live. This is where the men's work came in. It's like model, be the model, be the monkey that says, I'm going to walk this talk. I'm going to be in places and that allow me to 
reflect even when I can't see myself. And I'm also going to be in a place where my business model is going to be one that people can see me, what I'm doing, so that when they copy, I don't create a world of absolute chaos and zero sum. So that's hard to come by. First, you have to do your work. You personally have to do your work if you want to blaze a trail. Mm. And, and most people, I'm not done doing my work. I think I'll never be done. But the, the point is that if you have the Olympic torch and you never let it go down, you never let it go out. So on a day-by-day day or minute-by-minute minute basis that you're, you're look, thinking this way, then other people will, you're modeling that behavior and other people will see, hey, you seem to have an okay life. You seem to be happy. You seem to be actually truly okay. Like, well, I'm looking for that. So I want to be like that. And then there's that. But unfortunately, what leaders have often is the, the promotion. And you look behind the scenes and you realize, oh my God, this person is not somebody I, I would. <laughs> it's like, I, I think I told you that. It's like, if you go into some place, someone says, do you trust them? So I wouldn't trust them with a, a room of whatever, 15 year olds or something. And you know exactly the type of person you're dealing with. You know, it's like, oh, and so human beings have this, this is who I'm showing you. And they don't realize who they're showing really is showing their shadows and people will follow it. It's, it seeps out. So you're saying, wait, what I'm hearing is no matter what the, to our best effort to hide people see you right through you is, is what you're saying for the people with discerning eyes, they could see right through whatever mask that people take on. Yes. Yeah. You might be blinded for a while. We talked about the, the so crypto is a great example or different places. People could be blinded because it's like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. The promise is so amazing. And you see the people representing the promise and you go, wait, what? So they're promising freedom, but then over here it's not, or they're promising this and they're, they live their, their life this way. And, and so the, it's just like our politicians, we see it, but it's, we do this like in Germany, they do this. It's just like, even though I see it, I'm blind to it. I, I have, I, I keep my eyes open. I'm just, just like, I just keep, I go right through it. We know that politicians do the things constantly that we see that they're doing. We go, Oh my God, I'm so upset that they, you know, they, cheated on their wife or blah, blah, blah. Or there's poems about this, like ancient poems. This is what is happens when people get into different positions. Now, people that do their work are different, but they're few and far between. And they're really important to be the trailblazers and the divisionaries that you're talking about being. So, so here's a follow-up question for you. And, and this is, I want to make it a little personal for, I am a systems thinker. And I am very discerning. I, I like to think about things from multiple angles. Cool. And one of the criticisms that I received from my more entrepreneurial friends who is all about just don't think too much, just do it. And the criticism to me is, hey, CK, it's more important to take action when the window of opportunity is there, when the actual impact is there versus really trying to 
take a very discerning space because then it's easier to miss the opportunity altogether. It's easy oh, yeah. to get into analysis paralysis, right? So the people that I admire a lot is here's a clear vision. I'm going to just land a man on the moon without really knowing how I'm going to get there. They're very bold. They're very courageous. They're willing to just declare what they wanted to do and just do whatever it takes to get there. Yep. So I'm curious to know as a fellow systems thinker, as someone who is also very discerning about doing the right thing and then in doing the moral thing per se, how do you go about just, just, just be more bold, be more courageous, be more just, Hey, Let's throw the hat over the wall. I'm mi mixing uh, metaphors all over the place, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. How do we just do that? Is there any sort yeah, of yeah. practice or disciplines or things like that you cultivated over time to just, yep. we shall be there, go. Yeah, I talked about them. Yeah, if you do your work and all the things I was talking about, all that's up front. So yeah, there's a lot up front, but once it's done, you ask yourself the question, Am I willing to take this risk? There's a technique called war. What's at risk? I won't go through the, the technique itself, but basically it's your life is the way it is here and you want it over here. You want this different life. And how do you get there? So actually there's something standing in between. There's a risk. What's at risk? Then you ask the key question. Are you willing to take that risk? So that's not a thing that takes a long time. So if you've done your work and you understand who you are and what you're about and you see all these opportunities floating around and you go, what do I lose? What's at risk? And when you take it, go take it. Don't it's you find your way through it and you might find that there's a new risk that happens. Same process. And then you don't lose yourself because it's easy to lose yourself. So, yeah. Just throw caution to the wind. Yeah. No, <laughs> because there's so many reasons, no, <laughs> but moving fast isn't, as a matter of fact, I think there's one mentor of mine that always said, slow down to go fast. So if you do your work up front, then you can go super fast because you have a system by its nature. When I train people on systems, right? What is a system? If I have one thing that impacts another, I have a system. Now the chances are likely the other will impact another and it will impact another. So there's this level of impact, but also systems have aims. Why is that important? The clearer your aim is what you want, the more chance you're going to create a system that will support that aim. The less clear you are, the more chance you're going to have a dysfunctional system because your aim is wherever it's like shooting arrows and you have no target, just throwing them right up in the air and hoping something hits, hopefully not a person, <laughs> somebody's pet, right? <laughs> Systems have an aim. And if you could take on that kind of principle, because it's a real principle is then you should make your systems that matter. Not all things need a system, by the way, but things that really matter, think about them. Think about what thing leads to another thing, impacts another thing. And this person, if you say this and all that stuff and how you can work that system. And the same thing goes for, I think, in what your question about commerce and business and opportunities, it becomes, what's your aim? 
Mm. Right. And if you have this aim uh, that's clear, then you create a system for it and you just execute, just click a switch as much as that is just go do it. But if your aim's unclear, mm, you're going to have a dysfunctional system. Yeah. Like a, a relationship, the same thing. If you don't have an aim for that relationship, if you don't have a system with that relationship, chances are you will have a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. Yeah. One more question, then we'll complete if you don't mind. Yeah, um, no, I, I have to roll. Um, yeah. yeah. So one more question. So what are some of the tools that you've come across of philosophical idea? Maybe like you know, getting things done or Zettelkasten, your own oh, yeah, things like that. That's the latest thing that I'm geeking out about because yeah, it empowers are. me to create a container, a system, and then yeah. super flexible, very minimalistic. So what are some of the things for yeah. you to be able to contain this consciousness that you have and as a way to empower you to build the future that you want to build. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are definitely systems like if agile systems and lean systems thinking something called Kanban, you can create a board, like a Trello board. Don't overthink it, but it's the idea of how you could track getting things done. And then when you have uh, ability to take some of the learnings that you have from the things you get done, you could put them into a system like subtle custom or a notion or different systems that are out there. But at the end of the day, it's just how, how do I track and find knowledge that's in one place? I still haven't completely figured that one out because knowledge is all over the place. You have this document or these places and all that. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's like being in your house and knowing exactly where that item is. That's how I live my life. So I try to like, if someone says, Hey, where is where's this thing that you used to have 10 years ago? I can go right into my garage. I can go right into the place. I grab it. Here you go. And they go, what the heck? And it's the same kind of attitude. So the agile system, Kanban system, staying focused on doing one thing at a time, like we're doing right now. Kanban has a rule, like you only can do one thing at a time. So you have a board, right? And a board is, Hey, these are all the things you want to do, but you don't have them planned. You have a column that says, these are the things I have planned to do today. I'm going to get these done. I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to gain trust with myself because I'm going to get my commitments done. Then you have the in progress, like we're doing right now. Only one thing gets in that box. What is in progress? What that forces is so many behaviors and methods. One part of the behavior that it forces is focus. So I say... What am I focused on? And I look at all these things I could be focused on and I'm doing this. Well, wait a minute. This is not very important. This person's whatever it's important. They're saying it's important, but it's not. So it focuses me to prioritize too. So prioritization isn't like a, just a method. It's a method that gets forced by saying, I'm working on this one thing. Is this the most, if I checked out right in the, you know, after this task, if I basically died right after this, have I done what I needed to get done? Or did I just basically do this because it was easy? It was, uh, I was avoiding this other stuff, uh, right? So that's a great method for that. Uh, and uh, and I, would, I would swear by every human being on earth should have that training. That's why one of the nonprofits that I'm part of is the Five Saturdays program. We go into schools or eight-year-old, nine-year-olds or high school kids, and we teach them project management skills because we know it's going to last them for their entire lives, how they collaborate with each other and get things done. So getting things done is key. 
getting the right things done is key. Understanding how the system works together, like how one thing impacts another, like your time, you don't get it back, right? Some money, you can make that back. You can make it. Time, you will not get it back. So how you look at your system needs to take in consideration that whatever you spent, like we spent this last two hours, it better have been worth it. <laughs> we better have gone through a journey together. We better be set, turning on lights together in some ways that other people can turn lights on together, those type of things. Mm. So there's lots of methods. The other method I think is very important is check-ins. Not just with yourself. That's easy to do. How am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling okay. It's when you're with a group of people that are, that matter to you and do that regularly where you check in like in a circle and you say, and it's different rounds. So the first round is what am I feeling? So each person just, that's it. They don't go into story. It's like mad, sad, fear, glad, shame, some feeling I'm feeling this overwhelms kind of a judgment. You can let it happen and then let it slide, but everybody checks in. So now you got the real feelings out. Now what's up for you yesterday this person did this, or we did this, we argued here, whatever. And it allows a person to get it out, process it with everybody. It's not a long time. You go around the circle again. The third circle is check out, right? I'm checking out now with, I'm still angry or no, I'm now happy or whatever. And, and so those methods, as simple as they sound, they can save relationships, families, communities, societies. If you do this correctly, it doesn't take a lot of time. And it allows people to speak their truth. For people that wanted to follow up with you and your work, where should they go? Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, so you just see me at Keith Montgomery and the company cyber OI. It's a transformation company I was talking about. And uh, yeah, you Google me. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm involved with. You'll see my name is attached to different projects that are out there. Some the blockchain space that we're talking about, some artificial intelligence. I would go to mostly LinkedIn. All right. Beautiful. Yeah. So let me take a moment to acknowledge you, Keith. We went to a lot of different spaces. Thank you so much for being here so generously and spend uh, two hours with me and my audience. So we started from your love for language. We started from how you look at language. We started from looking at mathematical uh, mind as well as linguistic strategies. And now we zoom out to looking at using those rubric to look at a new technology like crypto as an example, and how we actually evaluate different opportunities and then create something that's brand new for people who are the regular Joe Schmoes, right? How do we actually use that to benefit their life and recombine the different abilities to create something new, something of value. Then we talked about the consciousness, right? The source of everything. How do we actually do not only the light work, but also the shadow work such that we can remain sovereign, be ourselves, and thus create a world, an organization that we truly want to invest in. Then we talked about some of the tactical daily disciplines that you do as a way to hone your own sovereignty, your own mind, such that you can go out and create the kind of future that you wanted to make. So. I so appreciate you, just the way that you show up. And I can talk to you for hours. You're a fascinating man. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.